You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. All right, Dave Jackler has promised one of the voices of Nationals baseball. Caught up with him this week, reminisced about the World Series run. Now, welcome on to the show, the great Dave Jagler, one of the voices of Nats baseball with Charlie Slows night in and night out here on the fan. Jags, it feels like just yesterday... I was sitting behind you in the booth, scarfing down some chocolate chip cookies while you and ja- uh, you and uh, Charlie were working hard and calling winning baseball in the World Series in Houston. October 30, 2019. That, uh, it just seems like yesterday, doesn't it? Nothing's happened since then. Very similar roster the Nats are taking with yeah. them to Houston today. <laughs> yeah, very, very much so, and, and so much on the line. But, it, yeah, it's, it's hard to believe it's our first time back. The Astros were in in D.C. last year for a three-game series, but uh, this is our first visit back to Houston since that uh, franchise first. And who should be the pitcher tonight? But the winning pitcher on October 30th, Patrick Corbin. He's going to be on the hill tonight in the first inning instead of the sixth, seventh, and eighth innings. Although maybe he'll make it to the sixth, seventh, and eighth. We hope so. Pretty amazing. Yeah, he's the the lone soldier, essentially, on the roster at this point from that World, yeah. World Series team with – the World Series MVP, Steven Strasburg, we got the news, obviously, last week. It's unlikely we're going to see him again. But when you look back, I mean, they went 4-0 and on the road in that series. I still remember, I fly back to D.C., they're up 2-0, and I had bought tickets, uh, four seats to each of those three games, 3-4-5, three, and five, and I thought, all right, they're not going to sweep the Astros, but there's a chance they could win this thing in five and not go back to Houston. I don't think anyone thought they'd be going back to Houston down 3-2, and the idea that if that happened, they would still win the right. thing in seven was just, I mean, you, you can't write that script. Crazy to think about how it all played out. Right, well, because it's the only best of seven series in any sport that has played out like that. We've never seen it happen in the NBA or the NHL, and certainly not in Major League Baseball, where the road team has won all seven games in a seven-game series. I mean, you figure after the Nationals win two, they have the momentum coming home. But then once Houston wins three, four, and five, I remember coming back here for the, the second, you know, the second group of two games here. And uh, I think everyone here felt like it was going to be a coronation. It was going to be the Astros second championship in three years. And it was just a matter of whether it was going to be game six or game seven. And they felt like going into game six, it would be that night. And they had the lead in both games and it, and it never happened. So um, it, it was, it's truly remarkable to think of it, but it's, it's kind of cool in, in hindsight, how it played out. It didn't feel great having to get back on that plane after, the Astros really dominated those three games. But when you look back on it, it, it made the championship even a little more special, how they had to do it and what they overcame to accomplish it. 
I want to go through some of the, the games in Houston as the Nats are back at the Astros for the first time since the World Series. Dave Jagler here on Grant and Danny. So just kind of walk back through memory lane with me. But game one, some things that I remember and just jump out at me. So I remember Juan Soto and Ryan Zimmerman both hit homers. The Zim homer, even though it was much more pedestrian than the Soto homer, which probably landed like an hour ago off of Garrett Cole. The, the one I remember, though, that the, when Zim hit the homer off Garrett Cole, Cole was in a stretch, if I remember, where he just wasn't giving up hits or runs. Like, no one could score off the guy. And the way Danny and I described it on postgame and the next day on the radio was when Zim, how fitting it was, by the way, to be the first national to deliver the run in the World Series, to deliver a run. They were down two to nothing. He got him back within one. It was as if Garrett Cole bled. You know, he felt human. And you said, well, I remember texting my wife before the game going, well, I don't like their chances tonight. You know, then they're down 2 nothing, and I'm thinking, all right, well, maybe game two. And Zim hits the solo homer, and you go, why can't they get to this guy? And eventually, eight hits, five earned runs off Cole. Soto hits the huge home run. They end up winning that game 5-4. to four. Yeah, well, th- yeah, that, that, that Zim home run was big because it felt like the Astros were flexing their muscle. They were the heavy favorites going into the series. They put two runs up early on Max, and you figure, okay, ho-hum, they're going to go on and roll to a game one victory and set the tone for the series. But, yeah, that was, that was kind of like the uh, – you mentioned that he, he bled. That's like Ivan Drago in Rocky IV, right? <laughs> when, they finally, yeah. when they finally drew blood. And, and there was obviously blood in the water, and, and that was the coming-out party nationally for Soto because uh, you mentioned the home run onto the railroad tracks in left center, but he had a big double – uh, in that game, and I just remember in, in, in the call saying, like, you know, Juan Soto, hello, you know, say hello to America, basically, because uh, we, we knew how good he was, but he had not been on the national stage other than the, the earlier performance, the home run against Kershaw, which, which happened at, like, 1.30 in the morning Eastern time, but uh, it, for, just for the national audience to get a look at how special he was, that home run kind of opened the eyes to, to what he was going to become. Yeah, three hits in that game. With that, Homer, it's such a good point because I think the part of the romanticism that this fan base has of Soto is the 19 run, right? And it is so many of those moments, starting with the big hit against the Brewers. Matter of fact, if you don't matter, uh, if you don't mind, J- Jags, let's play that uh, highlight Jags was just talking about with him calling the Soto Homer. The 1-0. Swing a fly ball, well hit to left field. Way back goes this one. It's got a chance. It's going, going, and long gone up onto the railroad tracks. Welcome to the World Series, Juan Soto. Oh, that was such a great moment. All right, game two. So the Nationals are up one nothing, and now they got Strauss on the hill, and he's, I mean, as we know now, he's got a sub one and a half ERA. He's one of the great playoff pitchers ever. He'd go on to win World Series MVP. But was correct me if I'm wrong. He gave up two runs in the first in that game. Was that when he was tipping pitches and someone told him about it? No, that that was game six. That was game later. Okay. Was the, yeah, game six was the pitch tipping when when John Toskis, the video coordinator and the and the pitching coach at the time, Paul Menhart, basically had to uh, had to con- confront him about it uh, that he was t- he was tipping, and that's when he started squeezing uh, the the glove. Yeah, so that uh, th- that was actually in game six, but in game two he did give up a, a, a couple early, and then I just think I remember about, about that game. Uh, before I get to the game, was I, th- I think that was the night that Danny Ruria ate about 5,000 calories. That's true. Literally every time, I, every time I looked back, he had different food yes. and was just scarfing it down and, and had the biggest uh, ice cream dish. I mean, it, it was literally like a, a seven-scoop dish of ice cream at one point, 
And, and with the Nationals coming back to Houston, I, I think they're, they're wary of that. But they might have extra food allotted for tonight <laughs> just in case that, that Danny were to show up. I mean, they, they, I think they're, they're scarred by what happened after that Game 2 performance. Uh, anyway, that that game. Well, people don't believe um, me when I say this, Jax, because Dan and Danny's done a great job. Like he works his, he works out every day, and he works really hard. Yeah, and he, he's gotten in pretty good shape. But he eats more than any person I've ever met. And that night, I remember he just couldn't stop eating. And I remember at one point, either I you don't know or if Charlie, was nervous. Exactly, it was, that's it what it was. One of you guys can. Conf- I met him. At, you know who it was? I think it was Bob Carpenter, because Carp was in the booth just kind of chilling with us too. And he's like, "Dude, he's like, what is the matter with you?" And Danny literally looked up with like ice cream on his brow, and he was like, I- "I'm so nervous," but he just couldn't stop eating. Every time, you know, you guys didn't have a place to sit, so we kind of let you hang out in the back of the booth there. And look, every time I turned around, he had something different that he was scarfing down. It was in- it was insane. I mean, you know, I know they're, they're, they've got to feed the entire media corps for, for the United States of America and around the world covering the World Series, but leave some for somebody else, please. 12 runs um, and 14 hits in yeah. game two. What do you think? Uh, bigger well, number, 8,000 calories or, or the 12 runs that the Nats <laughs> scored that night? Definitely the 8,000 calories. Yeah. The, thing, the thing about that game that was kind of crazy is that I felt a little kind of premonition, like summoning in, in the – it was a 2-2 game. Strasburg gets through the sixth inning. And Verlander is still in the game, and Kurt Suzuki is coming to bat in the top of the seventh. I, I just kind of, I remember thinking, like, you know, he had good swings against him earlier in the game, and I just had a feeling that he was going to do some damage and might hit a home run. And so I said, Kurt Suzuki has never hit a home run in his postseason career. And on the very next pitch, he hit a home run to put him up 3-2, to two, and then the route was on. And, and they blew, blew the doors off the game and, and blew him out. Yeah, you uh, by had, the time it was finished. You had like one iconic call after another. You had the Howie moments and some really big stuff throughout. But to your point, yeah, that summoning of the Suzuki bomb, because it's so rare, like with all due respect to Kurt Suzuki, who is my guy, he's not, you know, out here doing the tater trot a whole lot. Uh let, let's see. I don't I don't know if it's if they call if they pulled that part of the call, but let's hear what we got here on that. Kurt has never had a postseason home run. Here's the one oh. Swinging a long drive, left field. He's got one now. Kurt Suzuki gives the Nationals the lead. That one above the Crawford boxes. Kurt Suzuki's first career postseason home run, and the Nationals lead the Astros three to two here in the seventh inning. What's funny about that game? So the box score reads twelve to three. It was not really a blowout. I mean, it was a two-two game into the seventh, and then they busted it yep. open in the seventh. But that game was nip and tuck for. Th- Three hours, basically. Absolutely. Yeah, and that, and that, that really opened the floodgates because the, uh, the Astros have made a couple errors and the, they had a, a Bregman threw a ball away. They, they kind of collapsed completely in that seventh inning, and, and Suzuki was his home run opened that frame and opened the door. So it's a 2-0 series lead. I still remember, and in fact, I think this quote made it on the uh, that Nats DVD that they put out uh, that Major League Baseball did, but there were a lot of people expecting the Nats to sweep the Astros. And Danny and I just couldn't believe it. The phones were full going into game three with people talking about, you know, wanting to bring their brooms to the ballpark. And we kept saying, like, you guys sleep on how good this team is. I mean, yeah. this could Off easily be right. 0-2. And, of course, three games here in D.C., the 27 innings of baseball. Now Max is hurt, and they're down 3-2 going back to Houston. Yeah, I mean, and the funny, all, all three games were, were kind of, you know, pedestrian ho-hum. I mean, there, there was never a whole lot going on. Like, they'd fall behind early. Uh, you know, a couple of the games, the Astros broke open late. 
I mean, they, they score basically one run a game. There, there was not a lot to get excited about. As great as the crowds were for those games, it just kind of felt like, oh, boy, the, the Astros, have they, they've awoken the, the sleeping giant, and they were flexing their muscles. It, it was, unfortunately, was not very competitive. One thing I'm noticing is I'm pulling up some of these box scores. What a series Adam Eaton had, uh, who they acquired for Lucas Giolito and obviously was integral in the playoff run. But he hit his second home run of the World yep. Series yep. in Game 6. In that game, Soto hit his fifth home run in what was a pretty legendary playoff run there. And uh, Anthony Rendon went deep. So that tells me then Game 6 was not only the Strasburg tip and pitches game, that's Davey getting ejected. Yep. Yeah, that, that game, game six, you know, Adam, you know, you can't sleep on how important Adam Eaton was to that run. You're right. You, you pick out the – he had a big hit in the Cardinals series that, uh, that kind of broke open one of those uh, – yeah, he had like a two-run triple in, in one of the games in St. Louis. He was just – he's the kind of guy that uh, when he was on your team, you loved him. The other team, he was kind of a pain in the neck because he just – he was always in the middle of it, and he hit the, the first home run in the sixth inning – you know, again, Strasburg gives up two in the first. He's tipping. Then he shuts him down. But Verlander was kind of mowing him down. He gave up a run in the first inning. The Nationals had nothing going. But it was Eaton who hit the home run in that fifth inning to tie the game. And then the, the, the pivotal moment just a couple of batters later was when Soto hit the, hit the moonshot to right center off Verlander. Mm. And that's when he carried his bat down the line to first because Bregman, I remember watching Bregman in the first inning, he hit the bomb off Strasburg when he was tipping, and he carried his bat down. To first. I'm going, is he going to run around the bases with his bat in his hand? And he finally dropped it basically when he got to first base. And so then Soto did the same thing. So I remember saying after Bregman hit the home run, I, I bet you everybody in the dugout saw that, and they're not, they're not pleased about it. Well, Soto answered it the proper way. He hit one 900 feet, and he carried his bat down and basically handed it to Tim Bogart, the first base coach. And then uh, – you know, that game was, again, nip and tuck, 3-2. to two. Strasburg uh, pitches into the ninth inning. They break it open with a couple in the seventh and a couple in the ninth. Uh, and the, the seventh inning was the Trey Turner play. Uh, they, they only scored two in that inning, but it felt like they were going to break the game open. But, of course, they called Turner out uh, for, quote-unquote, you know, violating the, 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 the 45-foot uh, you know, lane area, which I, I still don't understand. That, that, that I, I've seen that, ball, that call so many times. And I, you can never convince me that that was the right judgment because to me he was through the bag and didn't impact the throw in any way. But however that happens, the, the, the call goes against him. And then immediately Rendon hits a home run, uh, two batters later. So instead of that momentum shifting Houston's way, Rendon's home run kind of settled him in. And then Davey got, actually got ejected during the seventh inning stretch because uh, the, the umpire and crew chief came over and confronted him and said something that Davey didn't like. And that's when Davey, you know, totally lost his mind and went crazy. Yeah, he didn't think... get ejected, and he didn't get ejected in the moment of the call. He got ejected in the aftermath when the umpires came over, and and basically the the crew chief said something that that he didn't like, and Davey went off. Went and that's when he got ejected. He went, he, and that's when he got tossed. It, it was, it, you know, people think, well, maybe it happened right when the call happened. No, it actually happened after the inning was over. And it was right in the middle of the seventh inning stretch. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. 
Yeah, I'm going to take calls from listeners uh, next hour on th- their fondest moments and memories of, of the, the games in Houston during the World Series. But I think both of mine were in this game. Uh, the, the first is Soto bringing the bat to first. Because I, I don't know if you remember this narrative or, or if you bought into it at all. But there was a perception of the Nationals for several years that they weren't, like, tough enough. I, I don't know what the word would be, essentially. But I remember one of the guys that would that called them out for this publicly was uh, Tim Hudson at one point. And, and basically the idea was that I, they I, didn't. I do, I do remember him saying that, yeah. Yeah, and it was like, oh, they don't have stones. We're not worried about the Nationals. And I just thought, like, Soto from day one kind of had what they'd been lacking. And it was a... I don't deal with your bleep kind of gear. And when he hits that bomb to go up a run in the fifth and he takes the bat all the way to first and drops it, and we're talking now game six of a World Series to try to pull even 3-3. Like, I thought that was the symbolism of, like, the organization kind of arriving through Soto as if to say, we don't take anybody's stuff. It just, it meant so much to me. I love that. And then the other moment, as you said, was the Rendon homer because people do forget that was right after the Trey ejection or, or the Trey play that led to the ejection. And it was so deflating because you thought they were about to, to score a bunch of runs and the inning changed yep. completely. And it could have gone sideways if not for Rendon, who was so amazing that entire postseason coming up with this swing. Harris is 1-0. Swing a high fly ball left field, sending Brantley back onto the warning track at the wall, looking up, and it is gone! Anthony Rendon puts it into the Crawford boxes, and the Nationals lead the ball game five to two here in the seventh inning. Two of my favorite moments of the Houston trips in the World Series. Which and do you remember who? Did you hear the name, the name of who that was off of? That was off of Will Harris, who had been untouchable in the postseason, but as he joined the Nationals the, the following year in spring training, admitted that his arm was hanging. Like they they'd, they had gone to the well. One too many times as it turned out in game six, and they would go back to that well in game seven. My favorite national ever, Will Harris. I mean, I, I think <laughs> exactly. he pitched like eight innings or, or less. I don't know. I, I don't know if he threw 42 pitches here, but he is my favorite national ever because it was one night later in game seven when uh, Howie would greet him very unfavorably. But, uh, I mean, I, I guess the Howie swing is the answer. But in that game seven, not pictured, Rendon hit another home run early. Yeah. That was huge. They got well, no, no, no. Ren, no, Rendon's home run was actually in the seventh. They were down two to nothing, and Rendon's homer. Oh, it wasn't that Granke, early. You're right. It was. It was in the seventh. If you remember, Granky. And the funny thing is, you know, you can point to earlier Nationals postseason exits, and you can talk about when Matt Williams took out Jordan Zimmerman, or 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 some of Dusty's decisions in the game fives. You know, double switching Zim and Rendon out of the game against the Dodgers when they were trailing so that Defoe would be the, the final batter against Kershaw and you know not challenging the, the backswing interference when Weeders threw the ball away against the Cubs. There were a lot of things that, that didn't go the Nationals' way. But when you look back at Game 7 of that World Series, A.J. Hinch had kind of a plan mapped out that Greinke was going to go about four or five innings and then he was going to go to you know Presley or whoever and get the ball to Garrett Cole. But they didn't want to bring Garrett Cole in with a man on base. It's game seven of the World Series, and it's has Garrett Cole never pitched with a man on base in his career? So Cole kept warming up in that game, and they never brought him in. Granke pitched so well that he basically messed up their script. He, he pitches into the seventh inning, and the Nationals couldn't even get the ball past the pitcher. I mean, remember Granke made like four or five plays on, on ground balls back Oh, to yeah, him. it was the only and contact. He had, he, had always, he had always pitched great against the Nats, and he was pitching an incredible game. 
And so when Rendon hit the home run, he walked Soto, and then to finally get Granke out of the game felt like an uplifting moment, kind of like the Giants felt when Jordan Zimmerman came out of the game in Game 2 in 2014. Immediately they bring in Will Harris and then Howie Homers, and Cole never comes in the game. Even when they're down 3-2, to two, they don't bring Cole into the game. They bring in their, their other relievers, you know, Joe Smith and Presley and Urquidy, and our, our man Adam Eaton had the big hit to separate that game, uh, the two-run single in the ninth inning that really broke it open, and Cole ne- never ended up pitching. So the, kind of the managerial second-guessing you can do that always seemed to go against the Nationals, everything played out perfectly with how A.J. Hinch tried to manage that game for Houston. Oh, Hinch got destroyed. I remember being in that press conference after. They were killing him. 80 pitches, six and a third innings for Grenke of two-hit ball. 80 pitches, and they went to the pen. Thank God. And soon thereafter, Howie with the home run heard round the world. Oh, why don't we end the conversation that way? No balls and a strike. Outside target, Chirinos the pitch. Swing a line drive, slice down the right field line toward the corner. Springer back, looking up, and this one is gone. It hits the foul pole, and the Nationals lead. Howie Kendrick has done it again. A slicing two-run homer off the right field foul pole. Do you believe it, Howie Kendrick? Part two. I love, Danny and I were talking about this in a different context last week, but I love play-by-play calls where the, there's so much silence in the crowd that you hear the team screaming. And you can yep. hear the, the dugout behind you in that call, basically. And the players, because the ballpark is that quiet, that road silence is my favorite sound in sports. Yeah, and I just, you know, every time I think back at that call, I, 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 thank, I thank the baseball gods for our positioning in the broadcast booth. Because I've heard, you know, Joe Buck's version of the call and the ESPN radio version of the call from the great Dan Shulman. And and those guys are obviously Hall of Fame announcers, but they had a different vantage point than I did. They were a little further up the first baseline. I had the perfect view so that I could track the the ball off the bat, the the right field line, Springer going back. And so I had to read, like, in my mind, I'm going, oh, my God, he's not going to catch this. I think this is going to stay fair, and it looks like it's got distance. So there was never any kind of hesitation, because sometimes when you get a ball like that, you have to hesitate to see what's going to happen. But I had the perfect read and line on it the whole way. And then the, the fact that it hit the foul pole made it a much easier call than had it kind of curled around the foul pole. And you've got to, you've got to hold up and wait for the umpire who's going to think about it for three seconds before he twirls his finger. It's just like it, was, it, was, uh, it just worked out so perfectly for, for my positioning and how the ball was hit and to be able to follow it and track it to deliver the call the way it happened. Nats in Houston tonight to take on the Astros. Very different stakes, very different ball club, but the same broadcast crew, Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler, on the call on the same station here on 106.7 The Fan. Well, I appreciate you coming on and reminiscing. I didn't plan on playing the, the highlights, so I apologize. It's like I read a columnist's columns to him uh, while you were here. I hope that yeah. wasn't too annoying. But, uh, yeah, that was fun. No, it's. Uh, I mean, nothing's annoying about reliving that. I mean, it's th- that whole the whole run, the whole month, has been was the most special of my career from October first, uh, the night of the wild card game, till October thirtieth, and then and then the aftermath of that, the, the, the ensuing uh, you know, riding in the parade, and just how special it was for the entire city and the, and the baseball community that's followed the Nationals from from two thousand five to now, and we we await uh, further moments like that in the future. But uh, until that gets there, we can always enjoy those uh, those great memories. The highlight of that October for Jags was watching Danny eat. 
his Sunday that he made. And then all the baseball stuff was secondary, but also cool. Of course. Of course. I mean, I, I can't, I hope they have a special pregame ceremony to, to name the foul pole, the Kendrick pole. That's how we are going to refer. We have referred to it. Uh, I, I was watching a twins Astros game earlier this year and Royce Lewis of the twins hit one off the Kendrick pole. And I was disappointed that the Ast- I'm watching the game and the Astros broadcasters didn't reference the Kendrick pole. They just said it hit the foul pole. I said, no, that hit the Kendrick pole. Weird that they wouldn't name it that, you know? They don't yeah, have that. a little weird. A little so, weird. They don't but have that On our broadcast juice. tonight, it's the Kendrick pole. I like it. Let's hope uh, Luis Garcia hits one off the Kendrick pole. Abs- somebody, absolutely. Jags, thank you, buddy. Good catching up. Take care, my friend. Enjoy Houston. The great Dave Jagler. What a great stroll down memory lane with him there. The Nationals back in Houston for the first time since they won the World Series. My final thought on busting loose baseball as we thank Dave Jagler for his time this week. Uh, College World Series this weekend. Remember, Dylan Skeens. uh, Dylan Skeens. That's the combination of the two great players at LSU. Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens, the outfielder who's going to bat leadoff and the starting pitcher for the Tigers, will be in action. So will... Uh, the top third player in college baseball in a consideration uh, for the Nationals as well, Wyatt Langford uh, at Florida. Um, if you are not into college baseball, now's a good time to get into college baseball. Uh, there are more high-end draft prospects in this year's uh, College World Series, the final eight-team standing, than have been in years and years and years. So going to be entertaining, and especially from a Nats perspective, both that number two overall pick and their second round selection, you know, may well be playing in these games this weekend. Toby, you got a final thought? Yeah, just excited to see what Skeens can do on the mound. I mean, that's enough to tune in for right there. And then obviously seeing Cruz, seeing Langford, seeing what maybe the possibilities are there at number two, but especially seeing Paul Skeens on the mound. I mean, can't ask for much more than that. All right. Thanks so much for listening, guys, for Toby and producer Darius. I'm Grant saying so long. That'll do it for episode 59 of Bustin' Loose Baseball.